Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 335 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, the guru of RedsMinorLeagues.com. The man behind RedLegNation.com. It's your friend and mine, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm pretty good, Chad. How you doing? Oh, couldn't be better. This has been a crazy week in just about every respect. I'm not sure that in the time we've been doing this podcast, and again, this is 335 episodes, and even during the time that you know we've been involved with Red Leg Nation, that we've had a week with as many ups and downs and as much craziness as we had this week. We probably have, but it's been a while. It's sort of just sort of a wild first week of the season in every respect, on the field and off, wasn't it? That's, it, it I feel like it sums up 2020 perfectly, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what? That's exactly right. What else would you expect from this ridiculous year? So the way I thought we would handle this, because uh, there's a lot to get into, so we want to dive right into it. We're just going to go chronologically about what happened in the last week, because there's plenty of stuff to talk about that has implications for later in the week and for later in the season. So we're going to begin with opening day. Obviously, our last podcast released on opening day. Well, I say our last podcast. I did do an emergency podcast uh, <laughs> after the first series in which uh, I was trying to keep myself from panicking. But uh, did it did did it work? It did work. It did work. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, yeah. There's no reason to panic just yet. Um, but uh, you know, short season. You never know when that that panic button gets hit a little bit early this year. Is what I'm afraid. But opening day was fun. I I enjoyed it. I I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I I enjoyed it. You know, we came in with the big expectations this season. Obviously, that we've talked about at length. And you know, Sonny Gray was amazing. Mike Mustakas was amazing. Made a got a home run. Went three for four. Four RBIs on his uh, debut game in a red jersey. Uh, Nick Castellanos got an RBI in his first at bat. Shogakiyama got an RBI in his first at bat. I mean, it was just a, a seven to one victory over the Tigers that day, and it was kind of the culmination of even since you know the winter all the way through. Now we've been waiting for the Reds to show up because they're going to be good this year. And boom, it it kind of all blossomed that day. That was a fun night, wasn't it? It well, I mean, how good is Sonny Gray? <laughs> oh my goodness. Why don't I mean, you that, tell us? That, that, you know, we we went all offseason just dreaming about how good this rotation could be. And then Sonny Gray goes out, gives up one run in six innings, strikes out nine batters. I mean, it was everything that you thought it could be. Yeah, and we're going to talk about each of these pitchers uh, individually in just a moment as, as we go along in the week. But what you just said, is, it, we saw that this week. We've all been expecting this great rotation. And what we saw were incredible starts. From all of the all of the quote unquote big three, Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, and Trevor Bauer, and uh, maybe a couple of them were wasted, uh, thanks to the bullpen, but and some some lame bats. But uh, that that to me is the single most exciting thing I saw this week was how great all those guys were in their debut. They they were ready to answer the bell when the season started. How are you with me on that? I mean, they didn't just answer it; they came out firing. They they landed a first round knockout if we're only looking at what the starting pitching did. Yeah, no question. At least, at least from those those top three guys, yes. So that was a uh, fantastic uh, opening day game, and that was the as excited as I've seen a Reds fan base, at least since 2013, uh, and, and maybe even since 2012, after that game. And I dipped back into Twitter for the first time in a couple months just for the Reds talk that night because I missed all my Reds buddies on uh, on Twitter.com. But... Uh, it was just it was it was an exciting time to be there, and then pretty quickly there started to be a uh, I don't know a chink in the armor maybe, you know Nick Castellanos was a pinch run for in the seventh inning of opening day, Travis Jankowski David Bell sent him in to pinch run for him and Castellanos came out of the game because that's what you do when you get pinch run for it, these are these are baseball rules Doug. Well, I mean, we might have to talk about uh, unknown baseball rules a little bit later, but uh... that's true. It's true. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But there was a little controversy after Castellanos was taken off uh, off the field. You want to talk about that, Doug? Yeah, I. You know, Nick Castellanos. The, he he said that one of the reasons he signed with the Reds is because he wanted to play in the field. You know, he's been working hard on his defense, and you know, when he was pulled, despite the fact that the Reds were up a lot for a pinch runner late in the game, he kind of took it personally and after the game he spent just about an hour out in right field taking fly balls from a, a machine and one of the Reds coaches I, I guess to try and continue to work on his 
his defense. And, you know, him and David Bell kind of had a discussion about it. And, you know, David Bell said, you know, it, it got a little, you know, tense, but he wants to see that from his players because he wants to have players that don't want to be taken out of games and are, you know, out there trying to improve themselves every day. And that's exactly what Castellanos was doing. Um, and, you know, it hasn't happened since. <laughs> that's true. He's not come out since. But, you know, uh, it was interesting to me. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I know there's some controversy about Castellanos, and it was a heated discussion with, with uh, David Bell, his manager David Bell, and also with, I can't remember who the other coach that was out there. I mean, he was, Castellanos was hot. I mean, he was unhappy after the game. And and what Bell said was exactly the way I felt. Man, there how many worse ways can you think of to respond to, uh, you know, something you dislike that your manager did than by going and working harder? You know, he came out before the the next day's game, early. He came out for early defensive practice. To me, you know, give me 25 guys like that, and we're probably going to be okay. That's That was my feeling. I'm not going to argue with you one bit. Finally, for the first time in all these years, you're not going to argue with me. So, uh, you know, the opening day was great until then, and it's still great uh, otherwise. And the second day of the, game, of the season came, and there were some, uh, I think, some roster roster moves at that point. The Reds called up Aristides Aquino and TJ Antone, who we'll talk about in a moment. But the reason they did that is because, number one, Tucker Barnhart went on the paternity list and had a happy and healthy baby. Uh, and congratulations to all the Barnharts. Uh, Tucker didn't actually have the baby, but he, he was there. And uh, then the Reds' opening day designated hitter, which I don't understand that idea either, but although I like the guy. Uh, Matt Davidson, he got placed on the COVID-19 injured list because he tested positive. So then everybody's kind of, all right, we had this thing with Castellanos, but still, Reds are good. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, it took one day into the season for us to get a positive COVID test. Now, uh, and we'll talk about in a moment about how that got even worse later, but uh, you know, it was good to see Antone and uh, Aquino, but uh, you know, that was kind of a... It was our first moment of like, oh, what are we doing here, right? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, unfortunately, as we've seen play out with the Marlins, um, you know, it, it, it could be a situation where things could get out of control pretty quickly, uh, even if you just have one guy initially, you know, test positive and actually has the virus. Yeah, and again, we'll talk in just a moment because we're trying to go chronologically here, but uh, yeah, uh, there was a moment later in the week where we were like, uh-oh, here it comes. But anyway, there was a game, second day's game, and the Reds, you know, uh, looked pretty good. They were up uh, three to one early, and Luis Castillo was just stunningly brilliant. Struck out eleven batters over six innings, and then the bullpen happened. Oh, the bullpen! Poor Luis Castillo. Robert Stevenson gave up a homer to the first batter he faced, and uh, then Michael Lorenzen came in and gave up the first of a series of long home runs. This one was to Miguel Cabrera. Gave the Tigers the lead, and they never uh, relinquished that lead. Although the Reds did tie the game up, I believe if I remember correctly. And then Rosella Iglesias came in and gave up a single and a two-run homer of his own. Michael Lorenzen and Rosella Iglesias, thanks for nothing. <sighs> now, how disappointed was, was that? If we felt it, like we were going to be 2-0. and it was rough because, again, you know, you won on opening day, and, you, I mean, it's the Detroit Tigers who, you know, they were far and away the worst team in baseball last year. And, again, Reds had those big expectations. Came out dominated the first game. Second game, you know, Luis Castillo dominates, strikes at 11. He exits the game up 3-1. Uh, to one. And then, well, yeah, three home runs later by the Tigers. And, uh, yeah, now now the series is tied 1-1, and you felt like one got away from you. Yeah, that's exactly the feeling that I had after it was over. And I think that's what I said on our uh, emergency edition of the podcast earlier this week, was just this is this is a game that in a short season, and these games in every season, you don't want to give away games to the bad teams, but it's going to happen sometimes. But man, in this short season, where every game is worth 2.7 games in a regular season, it just even more magnified. You can't give away ones that you have against the bad teams. If you can hold serve... Uh, against the the good teams, and win the games against the bad teams, you're going to be. That's how that's how great teams are born, frankly. So that was a tough one, and then we got some more news the next day. Before that, though, Major League Baseball, in the midst of all that, announced that the 2020 playoffs was going to be expanding to 16 teams officially. 
What are, what's your thoughts about the eight teams from the National League getting into the 2020 playoffs, Doug? You know, I've, I've been saying for the last week or so, just embrace the weird. It, it's yeah. going to be a weird season. There are going to be things that don't make sense that just, I mean, this week they've added other rules. That, you know, it, it's just, it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. And in a 60-game season, we really won't know who the best teams are after 60 games. I mean, we'll have an idea, but, you know, we're not going to really know. And a guy being on the injured list, even if it's just for 10 days, the bare minimum, 10 days, that'll change your entire season over a 60-game schedule. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we saw what happened last year. You know, the Nationals got out to a, a slow start because they had some injuries early in the season. And then from, what was it, like mid-May on, they, were, they had the second-best record in baseball. Yep. And well, they wouldn't have made the playoffs in a normal situation over, you know, 60 games last year. So you never know. And I, it is what it is. I, I think that it's silly that, you know, we're going to have three-game series for the first round because you really could see a team – you know, be 50 and 10 and lose in the first round of the playoffs because they had a three game series and weird things happen. But, you know, weird things happen in five and seven game series, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the way you put that. We just need to embrace it. Embrace the, you know, the, the chaotic nature of this season. So, well, I got a little more chaotic for the Reds. But before we get to what happened on Sunday morning, uh, early afternoon, uh, I do want to mention that in those first two games, the, the thing that really pleased me the most was Joey Votto. You know, homered in both the first two games and he just looked like midseason Joey Votto from i mean right from the outset and that was good to see after his slow starts recently and he may not you know he may continue to oh he stung some balls lately too but that haven't gone for hits but uh you know uh it was good to see early on i guess how do you how do you feel about joey Votto right now i i feel fine about joey Votto right now he looks good even when he's yeah. making outs he's hitting the ball hard um yeah i have, yeah. I have no complaints <laughs> yeah he looks he looks like joey Votto. that's the that's the way to that's the best you can that's actually about the highest compliment you can give a hitter he looks like Joey Votto. All right, so Sunday rolls around. The Reds are one and one after blowing a game the night before. Mike Moustakas, the Reds' new second baseman, and Nick Senzel, the Reds' center fielder, woke up not feeling very well on Sunday morning. So they reported this to the club. Moustakas was placed on the, the what turned out to be the COVID injured list. Senzel wasn't, but uh, when the Reds placed Moustakas on the injured list, Tyler Stevenson was called up. The Reds, you know, one of the Reds' top prospects, Tyler Stevens, and the catcher. Boy, I was happy to see that, weren't you? I was. Uh, Tyler's one of the nicest dudes that I've come across in the minor leagues. Uh, so he, just from a personal standpoint, I was thrilled for him. But, you know, from a talent standpoint, I, I was also pretty happy because I, I think that he's, especially at this point, he's one of the 30 best players in the yeah. organization. So, And he's the future. He's the future at catcher, period. You know, full stop. And you know, he, boy, he looked like he belonged in his debut. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Did he not look like a ten-year veteran in his debut? Just was not rattled. I mean, you know, he 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 wasn't swinging at everything inside and outside of the zone. And he also had a pretty special moment in his first at bat, didn't he? Yeah, um, he, he took a, he took a ball for the first pitch of his major league career, and then he took one four hundred something feet to to the outfield seats, or well, I guess it was to the. Almost hit the batter's eye, so it wasn't actually yeah. the seats uh, for uh, a home run in his, his first major league plate appearance. That's that's pretty good, right? Yeah, how exciting for that kid! I mean, really, uh, you know, just uh, I mean, he and, and then even later in the game, he went back down. I think now he's going to be on the taxi squad. We'll get to that uh, for the next road trip. But uh, so happy to see Tyler Stevens because he's a guy you've heard us talk about him on the podcast here many times. I can't wait, can't wait. This year, I was really looking forward to him. Hopefully, having to get off to a good start at Triple A, you know, and then being really on the verge of being ready because he had such a good year at Double A. So I'm glad he's uh, he's in the mix rather than you know what they could do. They could call somebody else up and let Kyle Farmer be your backup catcher, you know. And I'm really glad that Red, the Reds management didn't do that. Not that I have anything against Kyle Farmer necessarily. I don't really understand uh, really what his great value to the team is, but. Um, I was. This is not a thing they would have done in the past. Maybe it's the chaotic nature of this year. But uh, I was surprised and very happy they called him up. And that he's. I mean, this guy's really in their plans. It was like soon. Well, I think that maybe the the whole Kyle Farmer thing may have come down to the fact that Mustakas wasn't available, because then they needed somebody uh, to kind of be that backup middle infielder. Yeah. So that kind of takes Kyle Farmer out of the out of the mix as a backup catcher because you can't use him in the, in the field. And then if maybe you need, you need a catcher. To be later. catcher. Yeah. So. That that may have played into the whole, 
we're going to call up Tyler Stevenson's sit, uh, situation right now instead of, you know, somebody else and just sticking with Farmer. Yeah, but even in the past, I, even under those circumstances, I don't think this organization, of course, they're a different organization than they were in the past, but it was good to see. So the game Sunday, you got Mustakas now on the injured list. Sinzel is like in no man's land. Nobody knows where he is. Uh, you know, he wasn't placed on the, the IL. But let's talk about the game, then we'll talk about what happened with Mustakas and Sinzel, how that played out. The game on Sunday, the Reds lose 3-2 to two to the Tigers and lose 2 out of 3 to the hapless Motor City Kitties to start the season. That's disappointing. They're not good, Doug. They're not, but uh, I mean, can we talk about the good things from that game? I mean, oh, Trevor Bauer just oh, was ridiculous. I mean, he gave up two hits in six and a third innings. One of those hits was a solo home run. He walked batter. He struck out 13. I mean... What what more can you ask for? By far the best start Trevor Bowers had in a Reds uniform, right? Uh, it, it, it's really close. <laughs> it's really close. He, he had a few that kind of stack up a, pretty much with that one last year. Yeah. He was either very, very good last year or really, really bad last year when he got to the Reds. But that looked like the good Trevor Bauer we saw when he was great in Cleveland. You know, he just he was uh, he was dominant, and I loved when David Bell came to take him out of the game, and uh, Bauer turned and like, kind of growled and act like he was going to throw the ball over the center field fence like he did in Cleveland, you know, that got him run out of town, basically. And then he turned around and grinned. And I don't know. Good to see him happy and having a good time. And, man, I was enjoying watching him that day. It was just amazing. But then what happened? Michael Lorenzen gave up his second go-ahead two-run homer in as many days. And the Reds lost. Yeah. That's not, not exactly the uh, start that anyone was hoping for. It's not. It's really not. It's just. I mean, you know, you you, th- you you just think about how things started two years ago for the Reds. Yeah. You think about how things started last year for the Reds, and uh, fair, unfair. Our psyche tends to try and find patterns and things that, you know, really there's not a pattern there for. And uh, I mean, I I I saw it everywhere. I tried to not voice it as much as everybody else seemed to be voicing it, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel like, man, I've seen this story before. Yeah. And I, and I didn't like it. <laughs> My Cincinnati Magazine piece this week kind of talked about how I, I know they're better, but, man, they look an awful lot like these uh, same old Reds. Last year they won opening day. This year they won opening day. Big expectations, higher expectations this year than last year, but still, uh, Reds fans were excited last year on opening day. They were going to be better. And uh, they were better, but not as much better as we hoped they would be. But they won the opening day last year and then lost eight in a row. They went on opening day this year, and then they lose four in a row. And you know, by that, because after losing the last two to the Cubs, they proceeded to lose, or to the Tigers, they proceeded to lose the first two to the Cubs in a four-game series of the four-game series. And so at that point, after that second lo- loss to the Cubs, I'm not, I'm I really, I'm the same way. I was like, really? I mean, is this is this really going to happen? This team's too good to do that. But they weren't a full team at that time, really. Let's talk about Mustakas and uh, and Sinzel. You want to kind of give us the 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 rundown on what happened with uh, Mustakas and Nick Sinzel? Well, it, it it comes to find out that you know Mustakas seems that he had food poisoning. Um, Nick Sinzel apparently seemed to have a head cold. Uh, neither one of them ever tested positive. But can we say now, before you before you go any further, how afraid were you that? Matt Davison goes on the COVID list, and then a day later, we've got two important guys on the team. That at the time it looked like this is probably the beginning of uh, you know several people catching it, or at least if just, even if it's just those two, that's a big blow to the Reds. I, it seemed awful likely that it was going to be something to do with the virus, didn't it? It it didn't feel great. I, I I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't concerned. Um, but you. Know, Fortunately, which I mean, really, given the circumstances, very fortunate given, you know, one, real life circumstances to what could happen, but two, you know, to the Reds team itself. Um, and, you know, they, it, it seemed to sort of work out that, you know, they were just sick. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> They're just sick. But they never tested 
positive, but with the protocols that they're using, and I'm not going to use the same term that uh, Nick Castellanos used, the <laughs> effing protocols that we got to work with. You know, they were supposed to stay out till Thursday, and they had to appeal to get back on the on the field Wednesday, which MLB did. MLB did accept their appeal and let them back on the field. But and there are reasons for those uh, protocols, and I'm not complaining about them right now. But uh, you know, what a time for the team. You know, they know, at some point they know that Sinzel and Mustakas are fine, and but can't play, and the team is you know, losing and. Uh, it was just a weird. The first two games of that Cubs series were just weird until they came back. Yeah, but man, when they came back, they, they really did come back, didn't they? Jeff? They they did, as a matter of fact. Uh, first, the only thing that really the only good thing that came out of the first two games was, and I want to give you a chance to talk about this because you've been high on this guy. T.J. Antone made his major league debut, and yikes, he was good. I mean, how good was it was T.J. on his first game? I mean, he he came into a, a bad situation. Uh, Wade Miley struggled, gave up five earned runs, and got charged with an unearned run, and didn't get out of the second inning. Now, unfortunately, as we found out earlier today, Wade Miley has a groin injury, and he is now on the injured list. I uh, thought he was placed on the injured list with an inflamed ERA. Did maybe you got a different release? Did I? I, I must have. Get, I must have. Yeah, that that'll happen sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh. You know, TJ Antone, he's a you know he's been a starter for his entire career in the minor leagues. Uh, he was the talk of spring training among the pitching staff because I mean he's a guy who went from 89 to 92 to sitting 96 to 98. And granted, those were in shorter stints um, out out in Goodyear before you know spring training got shut down. But I mean, even in shorter stints, that's a huge boost in velocity. Um, and then you know when summer camp started back up, he was. Still sitting in that you yeah. know ninety ninety five to ninety eight range, and he was throwing uh, more innings. Uh, made his major league debut coming in against Wade or uh, to take over Wade Miley and gave up one run, solo home run, and four and a third innings. Had a walk, five strikeouts, and looked really freaking good doing it. He really did. I mean, he really looked amazing, and uh, you know you could tell he was a little nervous at the beginning, maybe, but I don't know. He he got settled in, and he was just he was rolling. Yeah, he. He's, he came on my radar only because you've written about him so much, you know, over the last few months. And, and, and you know, I, I was sort of, let me wait and see. My first real look at him, I could not have been more impressed. I mean, he was up to 98, I think, uh, during that game, wasn't he? He was. His fastball. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, God, it moved at 98. Like, it, yeah. it was not remotely close to being straight. It had movement on both planes at 98. It just, I mean, I, I don't want to say it was unfair, but. How are you going to hit that? All right. Well, that was the game. I mean, with the... I, I'm not that good of an athlete, but I don't know how they hit it either. So. Right. Well, I know I couldn't hit it, but <laughs> uh, that was the game with the Reds. You know, as you said, they got down 6 nothing like immediately. And uh, they ended up coming back and almost winning that game. And they would not have had a chance to get back in if Antone hadn't come in and really calmed things down. I mean, it was really important. Almost allowed the Reds to steal a win after Wade Miley uh, started so horrifically now when Mustakas and Sinzel came back finally on Wednesday night and I will say as well that uh, before that the Reds did activate Tucker Barnhart again um, and that they placed uh, Robert Stevenson on the injured list with a back injury at that time so uh, now when Mike Mustakas was returned they sent Tyler Stevenson down right am I remembering that correctly that is correct. Okay. So Tyler Stevenson uh, went down. And then the Reds came back on Wednesday night. And, hey, Sonny Gray was great again. And the Reds' bullpen almost blew it again. Oh, if the Reds' bullpen had blown that game, what were they up? Nine to nothing, right? It, it was nine to nothing, yes. And Brooks Raley comes in and pitches like me. And it was not a good time. And can you imagine what it would have been like? If the Reds had ended up blowing that game uh, after after being up nine to nothing, if the bullpen had blown yet another game in this uh, season, it would have been it would have been bad, wouldn't it? It would have been, but yes, I can't imagine it. <laughs> yeah, we've been there. That's true. Instead, they won twelve to seven. The offense was fantastic. Mustakas uh, hit a home run. Sinzel hit a home run. Both of them in their first game back. Castellanos had a grand slam, and Sonny Gray was straight dominant. Again, so all of a sudden, 
first of all, it's the most runs the Reds have scored in a game uh, in almost exactly two years, which is <laughs> kind of sad. But uh, all of a sudden, I think they got everybody to take a deep breath, right? Okay, we're all right. You know, it's and the fact of the matter is, they're two games out of first in late July. So I mean, they're they're okay, but now they can't you know keep scuffling like this for the next two weeks. But they look like an entirely different team with uh, with Mustakins and Zinzel in the lineup, didn't they? They did, and you know, Sonny Gray said after the game that you know he he went out there and he he wanted to he wanted to start something he wanted to ignite something, and uh, you know the first inning he hit Anthony Rizzo with a pitch, and then after he struck out the next two batters in the inning he kind of chirped at Anthony Rizzo over at first base he was walking back to the dugout, and uh, yeah it, it seems like the offense responded now maybe it had nothing to do with that at all but uh, they came out ready to go. Yeah, you know it, it, this is a crazy. Uh comparison to make obviously but it kind of reminded me a little bit of 1990 world series game four and uh, jose rijo is pitching for the reds and he's just you know pitching his butt off and he comes off the uh, field into the dugout at the end of one inning and he's like you know get me one blank and run we're gonna win this thing he was like cheering you know trying to push his offense to, to help him out a little bit he was so intense and so everybody rallies around that I love a veteran guy like Sonny Gray coming in, and he's and basically I'm not going to let my team lose here. And uh, he took some some ownership of the team and some responsibility for uh, you know not that you need to motivate professionals that much, but they were it was it was a bad time really for the Reds. They was they were down and they didn't know until that day about whether Mustakas and since they was even were even going to be able to return. And man, I just it could not have done more to calm some some shattered nerves. I think and uh, oh man, it was fun. It was, and you know, even though the bullpen tried to do their best at, uh, well, being what they've been so far, it the twelve runs will get it done most of the time. And, you know, it's not like the Cubs bullpen did much better. Now that's so, a fact. Yeah, they're so that 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 helps. They're just as bad. Now, two things. Number one, I see that uh, tonight, and we are recording before the Thursday night game, the final game of the Cubs series. Uh, the Reds have uh, are starting the same exact lineup. That they started last night, which was good to see, I think. And but, but can we talk about that bullpen? You know, a, a lot of people expected to be, and I saw a lot of people predict, projecting that they would have one of the best bullpens in baseball. I was like, oh, that seems like a stretch to me. But I thought they were going to be good, best in baseball. No, but I thought they were going to be solidly above average. And they have been horrific, absolutely horrific. And uh, you know, any thoughts about this bullpen and what we can expect uh, the rest of the way? I mean, there's no way. I mean, I guess they're technically a way, but I just cannot see the bullpen continuing to be this bad. Uh, there's there's too much talent in that bullpen now. Yeah, best in the league, no. But they're not. I mean, at least on paper, it's not a bad bullpen. It's good it's enough to get it done. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's pitched absolutely horrible this first week, but they're not a bad set of guys. It's just not. Yeah. Somebody asked me last night, who in this bullpen do you trust? And yeah, I thought about. It, I was like, well, you know. I don't trust Rayleigh, really. Brooks Rayleigh. For, sure. You know. And and frankly, I don't trust Rosella Glacius at this point. I finally I finally about to give up hope on him. But really everybody else in that bullpen, you know, for what they are, um, I expect them to be pretty good. I don't I don't have any problems with anyone else in that bullpen. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of people railing against Michael Lorenzen. And yes, he's had a brutal start for this year. That guy had an ERA of 2.92 last year with more strikeouts than innings pitched last season. I mean, is, is that really somebody you don't trust, or is that somebody who's had a you know difficult first week? Of course, he could— I mean, I, Go ahead. I was going to say, he could pitch great the rest of the season, and he's ruined his ERA for the entire season by this point. But, yeah, he's, he's still Michael Lorenzen, and he may be this awful the whole season. We'll know pretty soon if he is, but I can't imagine it. Can you? I, I mean— I don't expect it. I, I I can always imagine it. I mean, we're not talking about you know, you know, alien people ripping off the mask, and it's you know, the little green guys under there. So I I can't imagine it, but I don't expect it. We we've got a very long track record of Michael Lorenzen performing well at the major league level. Yeah, yeah, and so, and I would would I if I were David Bell, would I give some of his innings now to Lucas Sims? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Lucas Sims so far but but still Lorenzen's a key part of this bullpen and I'm you know let's not run him out of town just yet because of uh you know three bad games now the Reds 
it's, like a, it's a touchy subject because I'm going to probably receive some criticism when I say what I'm going to say here. But Reds fans have been a little upset about David Bell. And mostly because, well, for everything. David Bell gets a lot of criticism for everything. And here's my controversial statement. I don't agree with everything David Bell has done, obviously. I've got some questions about some of his lineups sometimes. But David Bell, in my mind, he is the best Reds manager that I've seen since Davey Johnson. And people are going to hear that. They're going to be like, this guy's an idiot. How do I unsubscribe from this free podcast? We're not telling them. Don't do it. <laughs> you will stay subscribed if you can't figure it out on your own. That's right. Um, but the biggest criticism has been, why won't he let his pitch starting pitchers pitch longer? And you know, I'd love to see these guys pitch longer. Uh, but And I do think maybe they could let him go a little bit longer occasionally. But on the other hand, David Bell's not the only manager in baseball that is. Matter of fact, Red starters are pitching longer than most teams. It's not unreasonable the way he's handled his uh, starters. I just think the fans see those great starts, and then they remember the old days when you could get harangued to go nine. And, uh, and they, and they want to bellyache a little bit. But I don't think I've got a problem with the way he's handled his pitching staff at this point. Now, Doug, tell me how crazy I am. You're not. No, you're wrong. I am, but thank you for saying Not that. Not about this. Oh, okay, all right. I mean, yeah, as you said, the Red Starters have pitched more and deeper into into games than most teams in baseball have let their starters pitch into games. I saw a stat last night that Johnny Cueto was the first San Francisco Giants starter to throw more than 70 pitches in a game this year. It was the sixth start of the season for the Giants. Wow. I mean, you know, after the game, Sonny Gray was asked, you know, what was this like? What was the situation when David Bell came out and you know went to the bullpen? And he said, you know, David Bell asked me how I was doing. He didn't say we're going to the bullpen. He asked how I was doing, and I gave him the baseball. Yeah, and he also said if the game had been a two to one game or something, you know, I'd probably stay in there. So I think that's there's plenty of reasons to criticize David Bell, but I don't I don't see that being one. No. I mean, uh, to to expand a little bit on what Sonny Gray said, you know, he he mentioned like explicitly that he's almost but not quite ready to go out there and just have no quote unquote pitch count. He's still building up because they had such a short ramp up time, and that's what all pitchers in baseball are seeing right now. It's how all teams are handling it. Uh, um, it, it seems that there's some group of fans out there who don't understand the situation that these pitchers are in because they think that, well, they had all the spring training and then they had July to get ready. That's not how this works. Yeah. Matt, and that's why they're using these pictures this way. And the three days since I've been back on Twitter, strictly I, I, just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just during the Reds games, you know, I got dipped back on Twitter and a bunch of these people you're talking about are, are asking me those questions. And I, you know, I usually just don't respond because I really don't think David Bell is the worst manager in history. Like, most people on Twitter seem to think he is. Um, is he perfect? No, but there are no perfect managers in baseball. And he's a lot better than what we've had so often in the past. I bet we could find uh, Jerry Naring to come back if we wanted. I mean, if, if the bullpen had been just half as bad as they have been, would anybody be questioning pulling the, the starting pitchers? No. And I, I feel that that's, that's the issue here is that it, it's second-guessing because you have hindsight. Yeah. If you the Reds were 4-2. and two, what happened afterwards. Right. Yeah. If they were 4-2 and two instead of 2-4, and four, then, yeah, you hear a lot less of this. I agree 100%. Um, I mean, if you, can't, if you can't go to Brooks Raley when it's 9 to nothing, <laughs> right. like, I, I just, like, I just don't understand. How's that David Bell's I, fault, I, right? Yeah, I don't well, uh, I do think there is a place to criticize him a little bit, and that's going to be one, our first uh, viewer mail question in a moment. But first, uh, let me just fin finish my thought about pitchers. Also, we've noticed a lot of pitchers getting injured around the league, too. I mean, it's you know, it's still early. And speaking of pitchers getting injured, Wade Miley, as, uh, as Doug mentioned earlier, went on the injured list with an inflamed ERA, and he will be replaced, though, by Anthony Di Sclafani coming back. So, you know, remember, Di Sclafani was placed on the injured list right before opening day. Tyler Malley took his first start. And uh, now Tyler Malley's going to get to remain in the in the rotation for a little bit longer. And 
frankly, that's the benefit of having a guy like Tyler Mallon having a little bit of depth in that starting rotation is they're going to lose Wade Miley. They lost Anthony Scafani, but they really didn't lose much because you know, Tyler Mallon was pretty good in his debut as well, wasn't he? He was. Uh, he only went four innings. Um, but you know, I, I think that part of that is also because he was kind of being told that, hey, you're you're going to be used as a reliever early on. Um, and then the Di Scalfani injury kind of popped up, which they didn't expect him to be out very long. Uh, and so, you know, he wasn't preparing necessarily to be a guy who was going to go out and start right away. Um, but, you know, give up one run in four innings. And I mean, the, what's wrong with that? I love me some Tyler Malley. So let's answer some viewer mail questions, Doug. You want to? I'm ready. These questions, as always, come from our friends at patreon.com slash redlegradio, where you too can join the family, support the podcast. We really appreciate all of our supporters at Patreon. Got a new one this week I want to talk about. My guy, Joey Gattaca. Joey Gattaca joined us uh, this week at patreon.com slash redlegradio. Thank you so much, Joey, for joining the family. Now, Doug, as is our tradition here, we get a new patron. We got to come up with what position they play. Joey Gattaca. I'm seeing him as a speedy center fielder, but he's got some pop. He's got some real power. Maybe not a high on base percentage, but a great defensive player and has extraordinary pop for a center fielder. What do you see so from you, Joey? So you see Drew Stubbs. Oh, there you go. Well, um, he's better than Drew Stubbs. Let me say that. But Drew Stubbs, oh, okay. Drew Stubbs well, I mean, is pretty I good at his best. I just think it's speedy, good defender, yeah. power, doesn't get on base. That, that sounds like Drew that Stubbs is, That's me. actually a perfect description of Drew Stubbs. That you mentioned. All right, so Joey... We love Drew Stubbs here on the podcast, and we love you. What do you think? You think it's a center fielder, or you got something else for us? I mean, I, that, that last name, Gattaca, man, that's, that, that sounds like a really good reliever to me. Ooh, could be. Could be. He's probably wearing some like funky uh, eye gear or something. I mean, I, I, I'm imagining the best mustache oh, yes. for a long time. Oh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to you know top what Jose DeLeon's got right now, <laughs> right. but probably pretty close. Good deal. Joey, really appreciate you joining. Thank you so much. The rest of you, if you want to support the podcast, toss a couple bucks to help keep this uh, this ship afloat, you're f- welcome to do that. don't have to. The free podcast is always going to be available here, but you can get some some goodies if you join us over there and help support us at patreon.com slash redlegradio. Our first question from our patrons comes from Isaac Starcher. Isaac's question is this. Will David Bell stop playing the matchup game with Shogo? I'm of the opinion Shogo should be the leadoff hitter no matter what. He hit over 290 in Japan, yes, different competition, and has looked fine in his few plate appearances against lefties thus far. Phil Irvin and Winker have not shown production in the leadoff spot. Thanks, guys. Thank you for the question, Isaac. This is uh, my issue with David Bell in the first week, and some of it has been caused by the fact that he hadn't had all his players available. I will concede that. But he's doing too much of this uh, Little League stuff where everybody has to play, it seems like to me sometimes. He wants to play these matchups, and he gets himself in really bad matchups late in the game because he's wanting to switch guys in and out. And he's not starting his best nine players every day. And I think in a short season, we've said it here before, you have to start your best nine players every day. Shogo has spent far more time on the bench, especially given the fact the Reds have been uh, short on players he spent way too much time on the bench, and I wonder what he's thinking right now. Now, do I think Shogo Akiyama needs to lead off against both lefties and righties? No, I don't. Um, I'm okay with that. I love Jesse Winker in that spot. I'm not big on Phil Urban in the leadoff spot, but uh, I love Jesse Winker in that leadoff spot against right-handed pitchers. But uh, I don't understand, and I'm sure David Bell has his reasons, but I don't understand why Shogo is not playing much more. Because when he's playing... I've been extremely impressed with what I've seen from that guy. I mean, this, he, he has a clue at the plate. Any thoughts on that, Doug? No, I'll, I'll agree with you in the sense that David Bell was seemingly felt like he needed to play everybody. Uh, Matt Davidson getting the start at DH on opening day. Uh, Christian Cologne starting as DH the other day. Um, I My hands are up in the air. I don't get those. If you're going to say start the best nine guys every day, that depends on who's pitching. And I personally have no qualms about sitting Shogo Akiyama or Jesse Winker in favor of Philip Irvin, who absolutely destroys left-handed pitching. Yeah, I mean, it's reasonable. When I say the best nine every day, that's the that means the best nine for that particular day. Sure. I just think... And, and that's, that's going to change every day depending on who's pitching. Exactly. I, I just think that far more often than we've seen so far... Shogo is one of those best nine. 
because you can plug him in, you know, three different places defensively or at DH if you want to. But I don't, I think the fact that he can play defense allows you not to use him as a DH and, you know, let Philip Irvin be your DH on those days. I want, I don't know. I, just, I want Akiyama in the lineup, but, uh, but that's a good point. It's a good point. I, I've been surprised, you know, see him on the bench on opening day and Matt Davidson getting a start. You know, in five years, we're not we're not gonna we're gonna look back at this roster on Baseball Reference and we're not gonna remember Matt Davidson. It's just I I don't know. That's my frustration with David Bell is he he loves playing the matchups, which is sometimes fine, but it's, it seems like he's just dying to get everybody in the game every day. And we've had a couple of instances late in the game where you got Philip Irvin hitting against a right-handed pitcher in a tight spot, and we don't want that. So. Yeah, that's my thoughts. Let's go on. Hooper Powell. My guy Hooper says, furloughed right now. Oh, sorry to hear that, Hooper. Furloughed right now. Who can I talk to to get employment driving the relievers from the Ketchup Factory to Great American Ballpark? It's a good question. The Ketchup Factory, of course, uh, next to Prasco Park. Uh, I'm surprised, actually, we haven't seen more movement back and forth. But we're probably going to see a, a pipeline from Prasco to Great American, aren't we? I'd imagine so. I mean, one, we, we kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, pitchers are getting hurt all around baseball right now. Um, heck, right before we started this podcast, the Reds made a weird roster move, Chad, that I've never actually seen before. Um, Matt Bowman did not make the opening day roster and was optioned to the Prasco Park roster. Well, today, they reversed that option and placed him on the big league injured list with a right elbow sprain. Interesting. I didn't see that. Yeah, it. it I mean, it, it happened right before we started recording, so understandable. Um, now just to put it out there for everybody, a sprain means a tear. So he tore something in his elbow. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he's going to need any kind of surgery or anything. Uh, it, it just all depends on how much of a tear there is. Um, but I mean, that's, that's not exactly ideal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, one relievers get hurt just like catchers get hurt and two relievers are, their performance is very, um, I don't want to put this uh, volatile. So, yeah. you know, you're you're going to see some some back and forth and it's not like the Reds don't have guys with big league experience that have, you know, at least solid stuff out at Prasco Park right now. Yeah, that's the way I look at it is you got a bunch of guys close r- close by here. Brooks Riley's not getting it done. Sorry, you know. We're, let's try somebody else. We don't have enough time to waste waiting for somebody to figure it out. So, so I don't know who you can talk to to get that employment, but there's going to be plenty of work driving those relievers. Maybe maybe start driving an Uber and we'll see if we can't hook you up. That's what I was gonna go with. Start driving for Uber and just kind of hang out in the area, maybe. And, right. You know, when they when they call for one, maybe maybe it'll be you. All right. Next comes from Joey Gattaca. This is more of a statement than a question, but I'm gonna read it because uh, Joey's Joey's new here, and we're glad to have him. Hey guys, love the podcast and all the great work you do. Cheers from Canada. He's from Canada. Can you believe that? It's like a foreign country or something. Or something. A lifelong Reds fan who is excited about the team we presently have, but a couple things stand out. Shogo needs to play every day. We've already talked about that. At the very least, DH. Uh, the pen is kind of scary at present. Yeah. And finally, I wish Bell would let the starters at least finish the seventh. Go Reds always and forever. Thank you, Joey. We've talked about, I wish the Reds starters could start this, finish the seventh as well. And I think they will. If they're pitching this well in, you know, three weeks, they're probably going to be going much deeper in game, especially if the bullpen continues to struggle, so but I think it's reasonable the way the way Bell's handling that. I don't know if there's anything else we really need to talk about on that uh, topic, Doug. Unless there's something you have to add. I got nothing. Mike Mannix asks at Patreon.com/slash Redleg Radio how high on your list of favorite current Reds is Mike Mustakas? He's climbing mine pretty quickly, and I hope he sticks around for the rest of his career. What do you think, Doug? I mean, I'm I'm loving the 1683 OPS he's got right now. Hey, that, that'll get it done. Yeah, that'll that'll get it done. Yes. He, you know, he, you know, the interviews you see, he interviewed after last night's game, and he acts like he's really happy to be here and that he's having fun. And so I, I like the guy. I love his uh, commercial he's got on Reds uh, Radio. He says, uh, I think Bill Lack mentioned this last time Bill was on the podcast. He, he says, "Hi, I'm Mike Mustakas, the new guy." <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cool. I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Mike Moustakas, and uh, I don't know about sticking around for the rest of his career, because you know sometimes when second basemen get old, they get old in a hurry. But uh, I'm glad he's here right now. Love that guy. For sure. For sure. Will Delaney 
asks, with Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, and Trevor Bauer all looking dominant early on, and despite Eugenio Suarez's early struggles, which we haven't mentioned, we probably should, it seems notable that the Reds have acquired quite a few of their key players via trade the last few years. Apart from some notable disasters, hello, Aroldis Chapman, what would be your ranking of the club's best trades from the last few years? Well, I think that uh, three of the guys mentioned have to be in that, and I'm not sure who else is in the discussion. I think uh, Suarez, getting Suarez from Detroit for the bloated corpse of Alfredo Simon. Good trade. Yes, very good trade. Luis Castillo in exchange for journeyman Dan Straley. Uh, Sonny Gray, you know, getting him for essentially nothing and a uh, three-year contract extension as well. I think those three are all pretty good. I don't know if I would put Trevor Bauer in that uh, in that category because it's not quite clear that was a uh, one of the great trades in the last few years. But is there anyone else other than those three that we mentioned? I don't think so. Yeah, I can't come up with any more. So my ranking, uh, I guess my ranking for that would be probably the Castillo trade. The oh well, no, I think maybe the Suarez trade, then Castillo, then Sonny Gray. I th- I think I'll go with that too because of the. One, the, the cost certainty was a lot better with getting Castillo and Suarez because they were basically rookies when we got them. Uh, so you had longer control, and you know they you didn't have to pay them yeah. tens of millions of dollars like you did Sonny Gray, who is absolutely worth it, by the way. <laughs> right. Um, but you know it's it, you know it, it does factor in a little bit there. Um, and Cast- so yeah, I, I think you had it right. Yeah, and Castillo and the Suarez both uh, blossom into all stars, and you gave up. Little for both of them, but you gave up literally nothing for Suarez. I mean, <laughs> nothing for Castillo. You know, you gave up a guy who, not a great guy, but you know, he was still was a somewhat effective pitcher after that trade. Simon obviously was not, so that's maybe the way I would rank those. But man, those are three. And again, those are the three. Those are we've said this before. To build a really good team, you got to make some good trades. Maybe get lucky on some. You know, but you got to make some good trades. You got to draft well, and the Reds. I don't know that the Reds have done that necessarily, but you also have to sometimes go out and acquire people, and that's what they did this off season. Kelly Buckner says, first thing, what a glorious time! We finally have baseball back." Second, tell Chris Garber I'd kick his tail in MLB The Show twenty. <laughs> I will tell him that. I'm sure he'll hear you saying it uh, in my voice, Kelly. Okay, I know it's early and the whole roster can't be catchers, but can't we find some room for Tyler Stevenson? It's just the kid looks so darn good. Also, how many more starts like these does Sonny need, Sonny Gray need before we can hand him the Cy Young? First question, can't we find some room for Stevenson? Hey, I'm all for it. Me too. I mean, it, uh, if you're going to sit here and say, you know, we need 17 backup utility infielders <laughs> instead of, a fourth catcher that could be Tyler Stevenson, I'm going to say wrong. Um, with, with all due respect to a guy like Christian Cologne, um, he feels very repetitive when you also have Kyle Farmer and Josh Van Meter on the team. Right. And if, if I can substitute him for Tyler Stevenson, I'm going to do that. But they don't let me make the roster decisions. so That's a perfect one, Doug. I'm glad you said that. It really makes a lot of sense to you know send Cologne back to Prasco. And Cologne, you know, he's fine for what he is. He just is what he is. But uh, he's he's replaceable. Stevenson, even if you bring him up just to hang out with the big leaguers and be on a big league roster for a little while and be a bat that can be used off the bench for the rest of the season, it seems like that could have some real value for him. It's not like he's playing in games at AAA you know, to get better. So it seems like that could have some real value for him going forward. Makes an awful lot of sense. Now, I will say, I guess when you go on a road trip, you get to name a three-man taxi squad to go with you. And uh, that's right, isn't it, Doug? Three three man taxi squad. It it can be up to three men as long as one of those three is also a catcher. Yeah. So the Reds named their uh, taxi squad because they're getting ready to go out to Detroit, and, and he was on that, so he's going to travel with the team. And so I would not be surprised if he's doing that a lot on every road trip on that taxi squad if he's not on the actual roster. How many more starts does Sonny need before we can hand him to Cy Young? I say let's give it to him now. I mean, I'm going to say ten just because they don't give you the award till after the season, nah. and he's probably going to get 10 more starts. Lame. I, call, me a, call me a stickler for the rules, Chad, but... <sighs> Screw the rules. Everybody should just ignore all the rules in life. Well, this is America, so... 
<laughs> we might get in trouble for that. I'm, I don't. I don't know anybody who's who's a judge or a lawyer or anything. Maybe you do, Chad. But um, nah, I, I feel like you can get in trouble for breaking the rules. Nah. Judges, get out of town with that nonsense. David Katzenmeyer. Hey, Chad and Doug, I've got a couple questions for you. With the pen struggling early and Iglesias looking shakier than ever, who is a guy you think the Reds should try and pursue before the trade deadline, given this struggle continues into the month of August? Follow-up question, Tyler Stevenson showed a lot of promise in his major league debut. Do you see him coming back to the club at some point during the season? I would love to see him back behind the plate for a game or two. Second question I think we've kind of addressed. Yeah, he's going to be back at some point, uh, one way or the other. I don't know how much. he's not, Unless there's an injury. But if Casali if or Barnhart is out, any amount of time they've already shown they're going to bring he'll they'll bring him back i think um who do you think the reds should try and pursue before the trade deadline you know it's francisco lindor yes <laughs> does that answer the question <laughs> <laughs> well and, and that's the weird thing chad is with the way this season is and more than half the league making the playoffs is anybody really going to be actively trying to trade somebody away this year i just don't know if they will Unless it's some overpriced reliever that they're trying to get rid of, and do you want to saddle yourself to an overpriced reliever? I mean, have the Reds ever shown that they were willing to do that? No. I don't see the Reds doing it, and I think the Reds have enough internal options. Uh, and maybe you disagree, but I think they've got enough internal options to to shore up the pin without counting on Rosella Iglesias in, uh, in tough spots. This is sad for me about Iglesias, though, because for years I've been like, this guy's one of the most unknown great pitchers in all of baseball and then he whines about not being able to pitch in only save situations and boom he's just not great now so it bums me out does it bum you out doug it does and it, it's what's so weird about iglesias is his stuff really is that good it, yeah. it truly is but it just seems that twice a week he makes that mistake pitch that gets hit 450 feet <laughs> That'll, that'll hurt you. All right. Next question from patreon.com slash redlegradio comes from our buddy Joe Farsing. Joe says, first time viewer, long time idiotic question asker. Uh, his question is this. If the pen is mightier than the sword, then why didn't the, why didn't they use Bix in Game of Thrones? Bic pens. You know, Joe's got a point there, but I don't think Game of Thrones would have been quite as exciting. If uh, if they were fighting with uh, with pins, I, and, I, and I question whether they were would have been mightier than the sword in, in that context. Do you do you want to comment on that? Do you want to waste your time commenting on that, Doug? I've never seen Game of Thrones. I understand what's going on here, but I don't know. It's like dragons I, and stuff, man. It's great. I mean, are, are dragons allergic to ink? I just <laughs> probably. Well, then maybe it seems intuitive. Then maybe I mean maybe. Hear me out. Game of Thrones was written in ink? Probably not. It's, you know, it might have been. But, but, but maybe. You think George R. R. Martin? I mean, I feel like I've you know seen him with his typewriter before, so maybe not. I don't know. The last time he wrote anything, they probably didn't have typewriters because it's been a while since he actually wrote anything. So. Well, I guess he would. You don't write with a typewriter. You type with a typewriter. Ooh, so. True. I'm the idiot now. <laughs> Joe has a follow-up question, and I'll see if you want to answer this one, Doug. And if you don't uh, have an answer for it, I've got the answer. Follow-up question, why was 6 afraid of 7? Because 7, 8, 9. That's <laughs> a wonderful dad joke. I love it. That's one of the best. Good call, Joe, and thank you for your valued contribution to the podcast, Joe. I know you've taken some abuse lately, and I just want to point out that uh, you do ask idiotic questions, but it brings great value to our wide and varied listenership, uh, viewership. Yeah, I, I, I bring idiot answers, so it's fine. It kind of works out, doesn't it? Skyler Webker asks, does the bullpen suck as bad as we think, or are we overreacting early in the season? And how can they turn it around quickly? Uh, no, no, they don't suck as bad. I think we are overreacting a little bit. But then again, some people overreacted early and said they were great when they weren't. That's kind of the way we decided earlier. But how can they turn it around quickly? Any thoughts about that? I've got a thought, but I'll see what you think, Doug. I mean, they have to pitch better. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty simple. Um, they, they just have to perform like the pitchers that they they are. Yeah, I don't know that I change much other than I, I like I said earlier, I give Lucas Sims a few of Lorenzen's innings, uh, and I maybe watch where I put in Rosella Glace. Other than that, I think you got to count on these guys to pitch. And if they don't, well, it's just like if your first baseman doesn't produce, you're in trouble. So 
I mean, I'm looking at the splits right now. The, the, the bullpen has given up nine home runs in 23 and a third innings. Ooh. I mean, I mean uh, stop giving up home runs? Yeah, that's what they need to do. <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, they've got 32 strikeouts in 23 and a third innings. That's really good. But they've given up nine home runs, too, and that's never, ever going to work. Never. Good question, Skyler. Next question comes from Risto Neely. Risto says, hey, fellas, in your opinion, do, do all of you all think that this season of no fans in the stands will have taught our illustrious Grand Poobah Commissioner a lesson about MLB's arcane and arbitrary blackout system? Explain to me if you can, because Major League Baseball could not when I called New York and asked the information officer. Why am I blacked out from games as much as 359 miles distant, Miami Marlins, or Tampa Bay Rays at 227 miles when it's not possible to even go there and purchase a ticket to attend the game? It's the most asinine fan-discouraging policy anyone could come up with to destroy an already eroding fan base. I mean, that says I, it all, right? I mean, it, it sucks, but I've got the answer if you want to hear it. Let's hear it. They're not trying to sell you tickets. They're trying to sell you a cable subscription. Yep. And somewhere in your area... It is available to you to purchase a cable package that has a channel that has either the Marlins or the Tampa Bay Rays games, and they want you to pay the $8.50 every month to have that channel to watch those games. Yep. That's why, and it sucks. It's ridiculous. Uh, I think we all agree on that, but Major League Baseball doesn't seem to be able to see more than five feet in front of them, and all they want is that money right now, and it doesn't seem that they can figure out that not being easy to watch many teams uh, in the long run is going to harm the viewership of their product. Yeah, no question. It's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous the way it works out. You know, you live in Iowa and you can't watch anybody basically. Uh, but I live, you know, where I live in, uh, in Virginia, I get the, I get the Reds. The Reds are twice, Cincinnati's twice as close to me as Washington DC is. That's, if you can imagine how far away from, northern virginia and dc that i live because i'm right on the kentucky border and but the orioles and nationals games are blacked out for me and again that's a you know seven and a half hour drive or something for me the reds games are not but now if i were 10 miles away in kentucky they would be blacked blacked out for me or if i drive over to tennessee which is about an hour away they're blacked out in tennessee it's really just it, it's sometimes it's arbitrary but yeah you're right it's, it's not going to change because that's that's their market. It's not tickets. Although maybe when if, if you know cable television changes irrevocably over the next few years, as it has been, we'll see. So, but has it really changed? Oh, I mean, I, for for all of the cord cutting that's happened, it's just now that I've got to subscribe to nineteen different services that still cost me one hundred and thirty dollars a month. Yeah, but I think that without packaging of these uh, cable networks. I think that we may see some kind of a change once contracts start expiring. Maybe not. Maybe not. Which, which, which contracts, though? Like with uh, the regional sports network? Yes. That are 20, they're, well, they're, that's, I mean, I'm not trying to – I feel like I got really angry there for a second. And <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean that. I was, I, was, I was more excited. But as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, well, that sounded angry. It didn't come across as angry to me, but how dare you? But, I mean, teams that are signing contracts right now, they're 15, 25 years long. I mean, those, yeah. those contracts are – That's a good point, yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm going to live for as long as the Reds' uh, contract is with uh, Fox Sports Ohio. At this point, I'm not sure any of us will. Fair enough. Thank, thank you, 2020. Woo the Reds asks, which temporary change for the 2020 season do you most fear becoming permanent once baseball returns to a normal season? Which temporary change for the 2020 season do you most fear becoming permanent once baseball returns to a normal season? I would have thought my answer here was going to be the designated hitter in the National League. And I know I'm... I'm the I'm one of the few that don't like the designated hitter and I refuse to like it. But really, to me, I think it's probably the extra inning rule, putting a guy on second base in extra innings. And there's one other one that I, is probably a close second to me. But what, what, which which temporary change do you uh, not want to become permanent? More teams in the playoffs. That's that was the other one I was going to mention. Yeah, I'm afraid it's I'm afraid it's going to happen. Yeah, me too. And I don't I don't like the idea. This year, I'm fine with it. Uh, but yeah, if, if we're going to get back to 162 game schedule, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Agree. Makes, there's no reason for a 162 game schedule at that point. Let's play 60 again every year. <laughs> you know, uh, we had one more question. 
With the latest news from Ken Rosenthal, how can you justify that this is approaching a legitimate season? Isn't this anything more than an exhibition season for our enjoyment? Now, he has a link here, and I don't have any idea because he, he asked this question just a few minutes ago as we were still uh, recording the podcast. So let me see what it says. Um, Major League Baseball and the Union are making, here's Ken Rosenthal's tweet. Major League Baseball and the Union are making progress on a deal that would allow for double headers consisting of two seven-inning games, sources tell me, and Jason Stark would be for 2020 season only. Parties believe more doubleheaders will be necessary as schedule is adjusted. Idea is to preserve pitching. I guess my first answer to that, woo, how can you justify this as approaching a legitimate season is, what's a legitimate season? I mean, it's it's sports, you know. Um, I don't know why this is any less of a legitimate season than 1981, for example, when, you know, they completely screwed up everything and caused the two best teams in the National League not even to make the playoffs. Uh, including the team with the best record in baseball. I mean, yeah, it's crazy and whatever. I just don't. I don't understand the 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 heartburn over whether this is a legitimate season or not. Hang an asterisk on it if you want. Whatever. I don't. I'm just. I don't really understand. I guess I don't really understand the question because what's a legitimate season? I mean, do we have to have? Is 154 game season not a legitimate season since it's 162 now, like they used to play? I mean, do we? I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Doug, any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I think that it's a legitimate season because it's, I mean, everybody's sending out their major league baseball team to play baseball. Everybody's got the same opportunity to go out and win baseball games. It's not like half of the league is playing, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe the Marlins are going to end up having to play basically a triple A team at, at some point, but uh, as as we're sitting here right now, I feel that for the most part, everybody's running out the team that they'd be running out in a normal season anyways. We're just not playing as many games. Yeah. I mean, I really don't I understand why we, we were saying I don't really necessarily disagree that it's sort of just an exhibition season for our enjoyment. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. But to me, it's just whoever wins the championship this year, they're going to uh, fly a flag over their stadium. And 65 years from now, Kids are going to go to that stadium or watch on their devices since they're not permitted to be in crowds anymore. I don't know what's going to happen with the world, but, uh, and they're going to see that flag and there's going to be a fun story behind it. Oh, that season was crazy. There was this global pandemic. It was awful. It was just the worst year in history, but they finally got to play some baseball, you know, and, and our team came through and won this exciting, you know, this crazy playoff system. And it's going to be a sort of a fun story, but that flag is going to fly there and, and they're going to have rings and they're going to get a, uh, a trophy. And so I guess, yeah, I mean, it is, it's crazy. It's, it, it is kind of an exhibition season because all the rules change and whatever. But I'm like, the Reds win that series. You think I'm not going to celebrate it? <laughs> I'm, I'm doggone sure going to celebrate it. So that's that's my opinion. Any other thoughts on that before we go to the last question, Doug? I'm ready for the last question. Let's do it. This comes from our friend Rich Thompson. Rich Thompson asks at patreon.com slash radio. What is your opinion of Michael Lorenz's new custom Vans cleats? Personally, if he's going with Vans, I say he needs to go all out and wear Jeff Spicoli, Fast Times at Ridgemont High checkerboard editions. Sounds pretty good. Uh, Rich says, that would be sweet. I think it would be sweet. My opinion of Michael Lorenz's new custom Vans cleats are that they look really good when he's jerking his head around to watch another ball fly out of the stadium. Well, that was a little bit rude, Chad. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I apologize, Michael. Uh, I, I love it. Um, I have long been a proponent of letting the players... Uh, do things with their cleats, their batting gloves, you know, things that aren't quote unquote like jerseys or uniforms to let them kind of, you know, express themselves a little bit, show a little bit of what they've got going on. Um, and yeah, so if you, if you can get custom cleats made and they can be of Vans or whatever other shoe you can go out there and perform in, I'm all for it. I love it. Yeah. You know, we were always talked about more individuality in baseball. And I think it's a good thing for the game, you know, let, let the Amir Garrett's show some emotion, you know, um, and that, that extends to let them wear stuff like that. And I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, it's, again, this is supposed to be fun. And so, uh, you know, just like I don't mind Pedro Strope wearing his uh, cap at a jaunty angle. I'm happy to see them show some individuality. And those cleats are really weird looking, I think, for Michael Lorenzo. But if he likes them, wonderful. I agree. That's one of the, one of the good things to come out of this season is they're allowing a little bit more of that. All right. That's the final viewer mail question. We've kind of worn this one out, man. It was a wild week, wasn't it, Doug? It really was. It really was. 
And let's hope that tonight, by the time you listen to this, you'll know what it, what has happened on Thursday night. But let's hope it's another good game, split this series with the Cubs, and really move on to a a big winning streak here and get back get back in the hunt. Oh, you're you're clearly not on Twitter right now because the game was postponed two minutes ago. <laughs> there you go. The Reds did not lose. Outstanding. See, look at that. Boy, in real time, I'm learning things. All right, well, Doug, uh, I guess we've got to find something else to do tonight. Oh, oh, I've got things to do. Excellent. Well, you do those things, and I'm going to go to a high school graduation. Doug, appreciate you joining me again, buddy. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 335. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere you find find podcasts. You can follow Doug at DougDirt24 on Twitter or at Redleg Radio on Twitter. And you can go to RedLegNation.com and RedsMinorLeagues.com following the Reds and the minor league system every single day of the year. Go support Doug's Patreon, patreon.com slash Reds Minor Leagues. Reds Minor Leagues. Go support it. Great content coming out of there. Thanks to all of you that support us here. Doug, any final thoughts? Go Reds. Go Reds. For Doug Gray and Travis Jankowski's glorious haircut, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.